Welcome to the sermon podcast of First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. We hope that this message offers meaning to your life. We invite you to join us in worship on Saturday evenings at 5.30 p.m. or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9.40, or 11 a.m. Each service is unique in style and format. May God bless you and your day. So we prayed this morning like we do every Sunday morning, as Jesus has taught us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so right there, we see that Jesus even considered relationships really important. In fact, it assumes that there's going to be brokenness and misunderstandings in our relationships, and there's going to be a need uh, for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. And in fact, the Bible's rhythm from cover to cover has it. Uh, and so we have Genesis 3, where is Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's the pesky snake. Do you remember the story? And, and so they, they fall into disobedience and brokenness happens. They become runaways in the garden trying to hide from God. Guess how well that worked. And then they also have a brokenness between them and creation so that creation is both a gift and a source of great pain and loss. And then you have... Uh, the relationship problem between Adam and Eve as they play the blame game. And we've been playing the blame game ever since. So that's the story of brokenness. But then in the end, in Revelation 22, we have the story of the return to the garden that is the, uh, the, the vision of the river of life that flows from the throne of God. And, and then from this river of life, uh, we are, God is our God and we are God's people and there is plenty of everything for everybody and people learn war no more. So in between those two kind of stories is history. Accumulated hurts and brokenness. And we all gather here today and we have some people with whom we have history. And this story from Philemon, or Philemon, however you were raised to pronounce it, uh, is, is a story about brokenness and reconciliation. And there's, there's four key words that I want us to center on so that we can get the most from this, the shortest letter of Paul in all of the New Testament. And the first one is, in the Greek, doulos. It means bond slave. Uh, Onesimus was a bond slave, uh, and a slave was the property of another and had no rights at all. Uh, Philemon was a slave owner, and, and so he was also a Christian. And it says in the book of Colossians that, uh, that he was part of the Colossian church, and it says in this letter, in verses before uh, our scripture lesson, that they met in his house. So he was a pretty influential member there, but he was a slave owner. And then Paul, when he refers to himself in other uh, letters, calls himself the doulos of Christ, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this whole idea of slavery? I mean, we have fought a, a civil war about slavery in this country. We're still dealing with the after effects of slavery and all that is entailed. Uh, and 
We also live in a day when there is a new kind of slave trade happening, and it mainly involves women and young men and boys, and it's, it's conducted mainly by U.S. citizens while using foreign people as well as some of our own citizens, and that one is going straight up through the state of Texas and straight up through central Texas, a major problem that law enforcement is having to tangle with. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's not Christian to own slaves. It's contrary to Christ. Paul doesn't take on the whole institution of slavery, but he does get revolutionary with it. Not only were people, individual slaves in that day and time, under Roman occupation, 30 to 40% of the population itself was a slave population. So Paul, in this letter... It's interesting, he calls himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ. It was actually a pretty revolutionary statement because he was saying since he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ and he's already bought by the blood of Christ, he is a bond slave to no one or nothing else. First, he is not a slave to sin and selfishness. He's been freed from that and he has a whole new future and he has a whole new orientation about his life and everything he does. And then it's a little more revolutionary than that. If he calls Jesus Christ Lord, then somebody else isn't Lord. Not the ones who would call him a slave. Not the emperor. And so he was making a social and political statement as well. Is because he is a slave to Christ and he's already been bought, then he can't be bought any other way. And so I invite you to think about, as you sit here today, where you are invited to be bought and sold. This is, you are, uh, you don't have to be a slave to sin and selfishness. You don't have to be a slave to the cycles that, that keep going in your life, that hold you down and make you fall to the same things in the same traps. You can be set free in Jesus Christ by becoming a servant of Christ. You don't have to be subservient to those things anymore. And out of that orientation, you also don't have to be co-opted. We are co-opted by the selfishness of our own society. The system will buy its products. But we don't have to be co-opted by that because it ends up tearing us down. But we're also co-opted as the church by both the left and the right politically. And one of the things we're needing to say to both parties and both movements is we've already been bought. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. We have been bought what, what God has done by his grace in us. And so we aren't for sale anymore. Uh, the way that I love it is the way Mercy Me, the great, uh, wonderful Christian band, has said it. We're already spoken so that redefinition from being slave to the things and to the people around us to being a servant of Christ, a major shift. And it's in this letter. Uh, then we have a second word, and that, that word is brother. When I, when I moved to the southern part of the United States, all of a sudden I was brother Will and brother Cotton. Uh, before that I was Will, or Reverend Cotton, or Dr. Cotton, but uh, I come down here and it's brother this and brother that. But the truth is, that comes from way back in, in, in biblical tradition because the people uh, addressed themselves in the early church as brother and sister. I want you to, 
trace these, some of these verses with me that are before our scripture lesson, and then they make a bridge into our scripture lesson. And so here's verses one and two. Uh, from Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy are... Okay. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our... Good. To Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. And so we see that brother-sister combination. All right, now we'll go to verse 7, which is to Philemon himself. Your love has given me great encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And now let's move into our scripture lesson, verses 15 to 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a in the Lord. So you can see the way because of Christ, everybody's playing on this even field because of what God has done for them. Now, that was in a very strongly status-filled world where you had uh, rich from poor and you had Gentile and Jew and slave and free, and all of those were, were statuses. And, and in fact, your goal, if you were a slave, was to serve all your life so that at least in the very end part of life, maybe you could be free. But what he's sharing here in Christ is all that status game is gone, that all of them, uh, I mean, here Paul is saying he as an apostle and uh, Philemon, who is uh, one of his church leaders, are on the same uh, level. And he's also saying that, that he as a master and his slave Onesimus are on the same level. And, and so sometimes we find in our own day and time that we become status seekers too, maybe according to how long we've been in the church or maybe by how much we give. Or maybe it's how much time we serve. Uh, we have, or maybe it's our age. Or, or whatever we do as kind of a status seeking, it's natural to do that. But one of the things is we are already uh, given a status as children of God. Well, we don't have to seek that anymore. In fact, what it does when we're this status seeking things, it makes us competitors, even inside the church. You think there's any political competitiveness inside the church? Indeed there is, and it's a testimony against us. Because we have all been redeemed, we were all children of God, and what we're called to do is build each other and be lifted up together as sharers in the grace of God. As brothers and sisters. So then there's that next word, and it comes from Onesimus' name. Onesimus uh, probably wasn't his given name. Uh, in the uh, days of the Roman Empire, you can find that many slaves were called Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus uh, literally means useful. We might add the word productive. Isn't that a good name to give your slave? Useful or productive? And if you live up to that, maybe you'll be set free someday. And so... It, it was a name given them to kind of use them because they would be useful. And, and, and so now we have a picture of what was happening. And so he becomes a runaway slave. And so then Paul says, I know that he is useless to you now. When we have a break in relationship with somebody, 
we have some inner ways of talking, interesting ways of talking about that. He's useless. He's a worthless piece of garbage. Uh, he's a, you're a disappointment. You're a loser. When there is, uh, we write each other off. Uh, out of our brokenness and our hurt, we degrade and we devalue. And one of the things here that, he, that Paul knows is that once that was kind of his own way in his relationship with God, but he discovered by the grace of God that that wasn't who he was. Saul, who had been the persecutor of the church, became Paul, who had become the, the one useful in the kingdom of God. And he now says that Onesimus is his child in the faith. In other words, he came to faith under Paul while he was with him. And, and so he's now useful in ways more than even uh, Philemon could understand. And so I, I want to take a moment here to, to clarify the perspective of how God sees you. That because of the grace of God, you are, are not worthless. You are not useless. You are a, an eternally valued child of God. And the, and the level of that love is shown on the cross itself. You are not a disappointment. You are a work in progress. You're not a loser. You are a victor in Christ. God, God is not through with you like some people say I'm through. God is just beginning. He has not written you off. He has written you in to the Lamb's book of life. Amen? That's what God has done for you. That's the new orientation that shapes who you are. And out of that new orientation that God has given you, then we share that with the people around us. And that gives them the new name as child of God. We pass on what God has done for us. Misunderstandings and brokenness will happen among us in our relationships, but we don't have the freedom to write each other off. We write each other in. And that brings us to our fourth word. It's actually not literally in the passage, but it's implied all over it in the story. And what a risk it is going to be for, uh, for Onesimus to go back to Philemon. He has no rights at all. He literally could lose his life by going back. Maybe one of the things you sit there and go, why would he send him back? Then uh, there's a risk for Paul. Remember, I told you, his, uh, the church of Colossae met in his house. This is probably the biggest giver, the most influential member of the Colossae church. It's just a house church. It could literally collapse, losing him. So there's a risk of both friendship and ministry for Paul. And then there's the risk by Philemon. Philemon, because he, I mean, is it a con job? Is he just pretending to be repentant and coming back? 
And is the same thing going to happen? And, what, and if he does this with his slave, then what about his friends who have slaves? Is it going to become just public knowledge that you can just run away and come back and it'll all be immunity? Risk on all sides. Let's bring this home a little bit. If we are going to approach our brokenness and go to the place of forgiveness and restoration, it takes, and this is the fourth word, courage. And that can be especially true if that hurt has been uh, by abuse and where you are pretty sure, if not totally sure, that that person would do or say the same things again. And here's where I have to put a great big caution in the middle of this. Forgiveness in that kind of situation is not going back and, and, and becoming totally vulnerable to all that again and subjecting yourself to that abuse and use. What you're doing is in forgiveness is you're letting go of the hurt that is still shaping your life and you give that to God and you still set healthy boundaries between you and that person. You just got to do it. That it's, called, it's, it's wise forgiveness. But the forgiveness says that hurt is not going to be the determiner of your future. And I know there, there have been times in my life where there have been folks that have hurt and I've just had to say, God, I got to put this on shoulders that are bigger than mine. And that way, that hurt didn't shape who I was from then on. And I know there's some of us here today that are needing that kind of freedom, and that grace is here for you today. You can let go of that. But I would set the boundary so you're not vulnerable again to the same thing. But there is another thing that happens with this whole need to forgive. I've talked to lots of people who have said, they hurt me there. I'm never going to be hurt again. I trusted and that was violated. I will never trust again. And so they allow their whole future to be determined by the hurts of their past. Here, we've loaded all the past into the brokenness of that situation. And that's giving it much more power than it needs to have. And so then it becomes the need to forgive and then build the relationship back through true forgiveness that also means also reconciliation and restoration. That's what God has done with each of us. And so the question becomes for each one of us here, is our, do our past hurts or are our past hurts having a shaping influence on us so much that it's totally limiting who we can become? And Christ would have us get past that and give us the gift of a new future. But that takes courage. Now, is it worth it? And the answer is, yeah, it's worth it. There is a tradition about Onesimus that following the biblical things, uh, that he became bishop Onesimus, that he ended up going back with Paul uh, after making things right, and that uh, he became bishop of Ephesus after Timothy. And that one of the things that Bishop Onesimus did was stored up the letters of Paul, most of the letters of Paul, and put them in a collection together. Is it possible that in our New Testament, we have the letters of Paul that bring such inspiration to us because of Onesimus. Now, that's, uh, that's tradition. 
But it does raise the question of, of the impact that has when there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation and there's restoration and the power that is there. I'm wondering this morning if God isn't speaking to you about a relationship that needs reconciled and restored, about a relationship that is holding you back in your future because you're still being shaped by the hurt that happened before. This can be that place of new beginning. Sometimes we forgive and we're the person in power, we're the parent, uh, we're, the, we're the employer, uh, we're the, the long-standing friend. Sometimes we're the person that has done the violation. Uh, and we're not the person in power. But the gift of Christ for reconciliation and restoration that has been given to us now, God says, give it as a gift. And that would be useful for us all. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.